Today's edition of the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh has been pre-recorded. This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions or life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can also email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send your questions to us that way. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our great studio producer, and uh, we will get your call that way. One more time for the main number. It's 340-9585. Before we get into some questions, just a couple of programming notes and a, a word about tonight's Bible study here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, We will be in Houston the next two days. We will be doing the program live from Houston, uh, short of any technical issues, but we've done it many, many times before. So uh, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow uh, on the day-to-day edition of the program. And then on Friday, I've got another special guest who is going to uh, share the hour with me from the pastor's conference in Houston. We would appreciate your prayers. Uh, We have the privilege of ordaining three new Calvary chapels, affiliating three new Calvary chapels in the South Texas area that I am in charge of. And uh, I'm really thrilled for all of these guys and our family grows. That's a really, really neat thing. Uh, A word about tonight's Bible study. And I don't normally promote my own Bible studies. You guys get enough of me every day on this radio program. But tonight is a, is a Bible study that I think is truly one of the more important Bible studies in uh, the prophecy of Isaiah. It's chapter 58. We're going to talk about what true fasting is. Uh, we're going to talk about God's heart, about religious rituals and, and observations when we have ugly hearts. Uh, and this Bible study, though thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, 
This is a Bible study that is as contemporary today in the Church of Jesus Christ as it was the day that it was spoken to and then written by Isaiah. I just think it's a really, really important one. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock tonight. And we would uh, we would love to have you visit us, but I know most of you can't. Uh, we don't have big crowds on Wednesday night, so it's a, a night where there's plenty of room. If you'd like to come, uh, please stop by and introduce yourself. And, and uh, I think tonight's Bible study will be worth the time. Not that I'm going to do it good. It's just that the, the uh, content is so valuable, so practical, and as I said a moment ago, so contemporary. So all of that, I hope, uh, is a blessing to you. Let's get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Here's a question from Walt. He says, oh, wait, I've got a phone call holding already first. Oh, we got two, in fact. So let's go to Greg from the Bulverde area first. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, I got something that uh, maybe just sheds some light on. I've, I've heard various teachers uh, talk about this over the years, and it's still, I'm still kind of confused about it. Uh, about the, my question about the third, the third temple. I know we have Solomon's temple. We have the temple that Herod built. Uh, has there already been a third temple built, or is that yet to come? And if so, when will that come? If you could keep me on the line in case uh, I need to ask you something to clarify. Okay, no problem, Greg. We have not had a third temple yet. Um, there is a, a lot of people, the Temple Mount people, in fact, in Israel, um, 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 really the foundation of which is, is believers, are, are preparing utensils and they're preparing um, sort of survival packages in anticipation of the third temple being built. But the third temple is going to be a temple that's built, Greg, in the seven-year Great Tribulation. Uh, it will be built under the, the direction of the Antichrist. Um, he's not going to call himself the Antichrist, but but uh, that temple will be set right next to the existing uh, Islamic shrine that's uh, in Jerusalem at this very moment. Uh, they're going to be side by side, and it's the building of this temple that is going to elevate the man that we call the Antichrist into a position of prominence, uh, a man who is going to pretend to be the greatest peacemaker the world has ever seen. But the third temple will not happen until uh, the Great Tribulation, uh, and it will be built uh, at the very beginning of that. All resources will go; will be constructed very, very quickly, and no doubt it will be magnificent. Does that answer your question? Well, I guess, yeah, just, uh, just to kind of follow up on, on that, too, is uh, will, will, will there be uh, sacrifices that will, that will begin again? And, you know, because uh, you know, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, so is, is Jesus going to allow animal sacrifices to start up again, or is that not going to happen? Yeah, it is going to happen. And in fact, there's going to be animal sacrifices uh, on into the millennial range. Now, let me explain that, Greg, because that can be a little confusing. During the Great Tribulation, of course, the theme is going to be judgment. It's not a matter of what God will allow or not allow. Uh, but when the temple resumes operating in the Great Tribulation, it's, it's not going to be a temple devoted to God. It's not going to be uh, a temple where godly behavior is. The, the sacrifices are going to be the empty sacrifices described in 
in Isaiah chapter one uh, for the time that he wrote, but but also described in the, in the chapter that I'm studying tonight in Isaiah 58. But yes, the temple will resume sacrifices. In fact. It will be at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the Great Tribulation, right in the middle, when the Antichrist demands to be worshipped himself, and the abomination that causes desolation uh, will be the kickoff of the second half of the Great Tribulation, which, of course, the, the, second, the, the, the second two series of seal uh, of judgments, uh, the, uh, the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments, will take place. But yes, there will be sacrifices. Jews will be offering blood for the remission of sins again relative to the millennial um, um, kingdom and the temple there uh, the, 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 this is hard for us to figure out because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice and all of those sacrifices pointed to him but the sacrifices offered in the millennium Greg are going to be offered in memoriam uh, sort of uh, honor the way we take communion. Jesus said, uh, "As often as you take this, remember my death until I come." Well, they're going to remember the sacrifices. Uh, I don't know how big a role the sacrifices are going to play. Uh, it's not a, a, a. It won't be a Jewish world at that point, but it's going to be sort of Jesus simply um, revealing to all of us what God's plan was throughout. And we're going to remember those things. We're going to remember the goodness. And and I believe personally, and this is just my opinion, Greg, I believe personally that when we see those sacrifices, remember what he's done, a, a large part of it is going to be directed at those Jews who wouldn't believe. And, and he's simply going to say to them, you should have known this is to be done in memorial. So uh, the sacrifices will be conducted both uh, in an ungodly way during the Great Tribulation when God is is not in charge of the temple. Uh, the world will be in charge of the temple uh, in the Great Tribulation. But when Jesus rules and reigns from David's throne after the, the Great Tribulation and into the millennial range, then the sacrifices will be uh, sacrifices done memorially to help Help us remember and to honor the Lord. That help, Greg? Okay. I appreciate it. I'm sure something else will come up. I'll probably have to call you back again when I discover something else concerning my That's that. okay, Greg. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate the call. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to line two. We've got Anonymous calling from San Antonio. Anonymous, you're on the air. Thank you for holding. Hello, Pastor. How's it going today? Going well. How are you doing? Pretty good, sir. Um... I had a question. It's a it's about a friend of mine, um, and he he says he's been on the battlefield for like thirty two long years. You know, the spiritual warfare with the devil and all that. And he wanted me to call in and ask you: Is it possible that God could grant, could grant him death? He wanted me to call in and consult. You can consult and again, you know, he give me your thoughts and ideas about that. So I listen to you on the radio. Okay, thank you, Anonymous. I appreciate the call. I sympathize with your friend, but uh, the, the the truth of the matter is is that we have already been given victory over the devil. Um, too many of us don't walk in that victory because we're too close to our sin uh, or because our hearts are divided. There's, there's a thousand different reasons, Anonymous. But uh, no, that is not a prayer that God is going to answer. And here's one of the things we have to realize as Christians that we have committed our lives and our destinies to the Lord. That means he is the one who determines 
our day of death. Now, that doesn't mean he causes it, Anonymous. I, I want to make that clear. But he's the one who determines our day of death. Why? Because he knows when it's going to happen. And any day that we would take our lives ahead of that, well, that would be an act that, that would be a grievous sin to the Lord. So that's simply not a prayer that, that he could pray. Now, I understand and have sympathy with the idea that we just get tired of the fight. But uh, what he needs to do is think about Jesus. What would, where would we be if Jesus got tired of the fight? Imagine if Jesus, as he walked through this earth for more than 30 years, especially the three and a half or so years of his earthly ministry, if he would have been just tired of having his heart broken by rejection, or if he would have gotten overwhelmed by the continuing onslaught of demons, um, uh, he, he didn't give up. And in the same way, we can't give up. And so this is a prayer that your friend is considering praying uh, that is not in the will of God. That means it's a prayer that's not going to be answered. But it is a prayer that I believe personally borders on sin. Um, You know, we see people suffering physically all the time. And from our perspective, it's like, well, just why don't you just stop their suffering, Lord, and take them home? But God has a plan for every one of us for as long as we need to be here. And when he's done with us, then he will dismiss us. But until that time, it is our responsibility every day to die to our flesh and live for him. And the way we do that is to walk by faith. And faith declares that we have already been given victory. And one of the things, as a pastor, Anonymous, that breaks my heart is to see Christians so focused on the devil, so focused on on the spiritual attacks in their lives, focused on the things that disappoint them in this world, and they just want to give up. As Christians, we cannot give up. The Apostle Paul said to stand firm. And he said that repeatedly. We're to stand firm. At the end of his life, Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. He didn't say, well, I fought most of the good fight and I finished half of my race. He said, I finished my race. And then he could also say, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, and not only for me, but for all of those who love the Lord's coming. So uh, your friend Anonymous needs to be encouraged. This is a good opportunity for you to be the instrument that God uses. Encourage him to look up instead of looking out. Too often we're surrounded by circumstance. We're surrounded by horrible things that are going on. And Jesus would say, no, don't look out. Look up and I will be with you. Again, I understand sentiment. There's nobody on this planet that wants Jesus to come right now any more than I do. But if we're going to be found faithful servants, if Jesus is going to be able to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, then we got to finish our race. And your friend Anonymous has not finished the race. Being in the battle is just part of the walk with Jesus in this life. So pray for your friend, share with him, encourage him, and let the Lord use you to strengthen Anonymous. Thank you for your call. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here's the question from Walt that I started to get to. He said, what is the difference between transgender 
and sexual identity. Um, Walt, they're, they're basically the same thing, but uh, here, here's the difference as, as I understand it. Uh, somebody who's transgender um, um, believes that they were born, I think both parties believe that they were born uh, in the wrong body. They, they would rather be a, a female or a male, depending on what their biological um, um, makeup is. Uh, the transgender is the person who says, I'm living like a, a I'm a man living like a woman, um, and, 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 and so I'm going to have surgery and reassignment surgery, uh, and, and that's what I am. I'm transitioning genders. Sexual identity is a little bit more difficult to understand because this is all in the brain. This is a, a man or a woman who can look in the mirror and see who they are biologically and yet convince themselves that their identity, the way they see themselves, is in the other gender, the opposite gender. So here I am stuck in this biological body that, that in my case, would be male, but I, I just identify as a woman. Now, the problem with that is it's simply a lie. It's not true. Our, our, we're playing tricks on our mind, but the reality is is every single man or woman ever born can look in the mirror and see what they were born to be. Now, if they don't want to be that, well, that's still tough. Now, I want to make a comparison here, Walt, because uh, you may remember uh, there was a time um, a woman named Rachel, and I, I, her last name escapes me, I think it's Dolander, but 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 excuse me, but uh, she was a an executive with the NAACP, and uh, it turns out that she was exposed by her family, and most notably her brother, as being white and not black at all. She was been passing for a very very light skinned black person, black woman, for a very long time, and she was highly regarded um, among black activist groups. And yet when she was exposed, her world turned on her. She was ashamed and she's virtually disappeared. But you see, she identified as black. Now, she wasn't able to identify as black. That was unacceptable. But today, a man can identify as a woman and woe to anyone who would say anything about it. You see, the difference is we've got to accept ourselves for who we are. Not who we want to be. I got to tell you, Walt, and, and I'm not a tall man. <laughs> That's an understatement. I identify my whole life as being six foot three. I want to be tall. I've always wanted to be tall. I was a baseball player in college, and if I was six foot three, uh, I'd have made a lot of money playing baseball. But the problem is, no matter how many times I identified as six foot three, I'd get measured, I'd be 5'7". We've got to be willing to accept who we are and then let God use us for his glory. And our world has literally lost their minds. We've lost our ability to think logically. You know, the same person that will say, oh, I believe that we, we've evolved from lower life forms. We think the evidence is clear. We believe in science. That same person will say, well, I don't believe in biology. And we Christians are too timid to call them on it. And the world has gone absolutely crazy, absolutely insane over this issue. 
It just demonstrates what Paul wrote about the last days when he was writing in chapter 3 of Second Timothy to his son in the faith, Timothy, about being prepared for what was going to happen in these last days. We are there. Walt, we're there. And it's almost as though we're ignoring what's before our very eyes. So I, I, I hope that's a, a, an explanation that's adequate for you. Andrew asked this question, Pastor Ron, why does Paul say no one is good when there clearly are good people? I have a second question. Do you believe that man is basically good at heart? Well, uh, Andrew, Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So while Paul was the human vessel, it was the Holy Spirit who is God saying that no one is good. He says it in Romans chapter 3. There are other places where Paul talks about our, our inability to, to do good or be good. I mean, just read Romans chapter 7. That's Paul's personal testimony. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Now, I think most of us would think that the Apostle Paul was a good man. But he says... In my flesh is no good thing. Now, when you say there are clearly good people, what you mean, Andrew, is there is that there are nice people or that there are people better than you or better than me? There are people who are moral. There are people who do good things. There are people who uh, live lives without bothering anybody. But still, they're sinners. And the problem is we compare ourselves with other sinners instead of comparing ourselves with God. Do you remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good teacher, good master, what must I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus instantly turned on him and said, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. Now, Andrew, Jesus said that. It's in Mark chapter 10. It's also in Luke's gospel. So there are are good people compared to you or compared to me, but there are no good people compared to Jesus. You see, when God sees good, it's 100% good. That's why we need a, a Savior. We need a, a, a sacrifice for our sins, but our sacrifice had to be God. He had to be good. He had to be perfect. And then he gives us his righteousness and allows us entrance into the kingdom of God. But, Andrew, the truth is there is no one good, no one who seeks God, we're told. And we've got to decide, are we going to believe how we feel, or are we going to believe what the Bible says? For me, Freedom Day, Andrew, was when I realized that, that no matter what I tried to do that was good, I was a wretched man like the Apostle Paul who needed to be saved. I think too many of us, we think good people don't need to be rescued. The people that think they're okay the way they are, they're people who have a hard time asking Jesus to save them because they don't think they need to be saved. The second question is, do I believe that man is basically good at heart? Andrew, all you have to do is look around at this world. How can anyone believe that man is basically good at heart? Again, there are people that are better than me, lots and lots and lots of people. But man and his sinful, wicked heart is at the root of all of the, the, the horror that we see going on in this world. There's no other way to explain 
condition of mankind in this world. That's why it's going to be necessary for Jesus to come and judge this world, to judge people, because at some point he's going to enter into eternity with those of us who are his, and then we will be good because we're going to be like him. So man is demonstrably not good at heart, basically or otherwise. The problem I have in this world is me, Andrew. You're not my problem. Nobody else is my problem. I'm my biggest enemy. And that's why Christ in me, the hope of glory, is so significant because that means I can let Christ in me loose. I can die to who I am and live to who he is. But I can't do it in my own strength. I have none. I don't even want to do it in my own strength. That's why we surrender daily to Jesus. These are truths, Andrew, that if Christians don't embrace them, while they might truly be saved, they're never going to experience any victory or any joy or any fulfillment in their lives. And the reason they're not going to experience it is because they're going to try to do things in their own strength, which is only going to mess things up even more. So the Bible says there's no one good, none righteous, no one who seeks after God. You have a decision, Andrew. You're going to believe what God says, who knows our hearts. We're going to believe what the world says, or even what you feel. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron, and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Today's edition of the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh has been pre-recorded. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our final 30 minutes today let's go right to the phones wimberley texas and talk with carlton carlton thanks for calling you are on the air hello there uh thanks for taking my call i uh-huh. i uh I lost my wife a year ago, uh, and for, you know, together 34 years, both Christians coming from a full gospel background. We can't been kind of out of that for the last 15, 20 years. But anyway, what I really had the biggest, hardest time about was trying to understand God's foreknowledge about the whole situation thinking that I had some controls, thinking that I should have been warned, that I should have known or or felt, you know, the Holy Spirit should have warned me that something was fixing to happen that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just felt like I failed and didn't hear the Lord. It felt like God should have told me what was coming. I mean, it was just, it was terrible. A whole just barrage of thoughts and guilt feelings and anger and all kinds of stuff. And uh, mm. 
I've worked through that, and I'm 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 very much uh, doing quite well, thank God. But I've just been having to learn about God's foreknowledge and accept the fact that He has a sovereign plan. And sometimes it doesn't agree with our timeline and our goals and our thoughts. So I'd love to hear your your take on on that foreknowledge thing and you know all that. I can do that, Carlton. Thank you very, very much. First, let me say I'm really sorry for your loss. I, I, uh, I can't imagine being in in the situation that you find yourself in. Um, I'm just really, really sorry. Uh, since you've worked through it, uh, I won't. Um, I won't help you work through it all over again. But, but let me say about God's foreknowledge. It's, it's not causative. And I think sometimes our struggles uh, are, are almost like, well, God knows this is going to happen, or God caused this to happen. Uh, God knows everything, and He knew exactly the time uh, and, the, and, the, and the place um, that, that these things, these unfortunate things, were going to, going to happen. So God's foreknowledge uh, is is simply a, a, a function of His sovereignty, of His living outside of time and space, knowing the end from the beginning, in the same way that He knew His Son was going to die, uh, at exactly the time that uh, Jesus gave up His Spirit, um, the, the same way He knew that your wife was going to die on that day. Um, um, he, he just knows stuff. Now, there are times, Carlton, when God intervenes, clearly. Um, uh, there are times when God intervenes. We have a lady in our church today who's been through so much over the last three or four years, and she had surgery again because they found another mass uh, that was malignant. Um, and, and you know, uh, from our perspective, Lord, you've spared her, and now this... He doesn't share his foreknowledge with us. What he expects us to do as believers is trust him. It doesn't mean that you're not hurt. It doesn't even mean that you're not angry. I I think it's a normal human reaction to be angry when God takes somebody from us that we love so much. But God knows that you're prepared for it. Now, as silly as that sounds, I want you to think about this for a moment. He knew that on this day, as you'd call this radio program, you could say, I've worked through this quite well. You were ready. And the one thing that you've got to be able to identify is that the voice of God versus the voice of the enemy. Um, the enemy is going to try to get you to turn on God in your grief. He's going to use it, and he's without mercy, and he's relentless. So he's going to try uh, to, to, to upset the, the plan that God has for you. But you are ready. It doesn't mean you didn't hurt. It doesn't mean that you're not still going to hurt. But you are ready, and now your life is a trophy for the Lord. And now you have a ministry purpose, Carlton. That purpose is to comfort others with the comfort that you yourself is receiving God. And here's what I've found over and over and over, Carlton, that when people go through terrible things like you've been through, God is preparing them to minister to others who are going through it. A couple of years ago, we had a, not quite two years ago now, we had a, an eight-year-old boy who was killed in a car wreck. The rest of his family survived. And as horrible as that was, 
and as painful as it still is to this family. You should see the fruit of their ministry. And this mom and dad know Jesus better than they ever would have, absent his tragedy. That's not to make light of the tragedy at all. But now God is using them to win others to him. And that's God's plan for your life. Again, God's sovereignty and his foreknowledge aren't mysteries to us in the sense that, that well, why did God do this? That's a mystery that, that he's going to keep. But he didn't cause your wife to die. One thing that you did say, and I know you've worked through it, but one thing you did say that I want to deal with, you indicated that um, you felt like God, when you were going through it, you felt like God should have prepared you or should have told you. Um, that's simply not the normal way that God works. Now, he would have told you if you weren't prepared for it. He would have prepared you. Believe me, he would have prepared for you. I've gone through many, many losses here as the pastor of this church for nearly 25 years. Uh, And very rarely, very rarely did the Lord prepare me for it um, ahead of time. But I was prepared. So Carlton, again, his foreknowledge just means he knows everything that's going to happen. He didn't cause you to pick up the phone and call me today. He knew you were. In the same way, in the tragedy of losing your wife, God knew it was going to happen, and he prepared you for that event. And now you've got wonderful years of memories left, and you will be reunited with your wife in heaven, and that's a good thing. So, Carlton, thank you very much for the call. Let's go to line two now and talk with Al from San Antonio. Al, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Al, are you there? Yes. Yeah. Hi, hi, Al. Pastor Ron, how are you doing? God bless you. I'm doing well. Uh, I had a question, uh, based, mostly based on charity. Um, that uh, there's a passage in the Bible uh, where Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me, I was hungry and you fed me. And one, uh, one uh, Christian speaker defined that as the Hebrew people in, in Israel and that we need to help them. And so uh, I was just wondering if, uh, like, I, I know that secular, secular people are all the same. And then according to what Paul says in the Bible, uh, that if... Uh, if a Jewish person is converted to Christ, they're more valuable than than, than secular people, than I guess than than Chris, even Christians. But it's just a, a question that I have because I'm interested in giving some charity money to some uh, people in Israel uh, or some Hebrew people, and uh, because I already give charity money to people who 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 are not. Uh, who are Christians, but it's just kind of um, the emphasis on the on the radio that they say that oh you, you you need to help these people and you need to help them and so it's kind of do you understand the question more or less? Yeah, yeah, I do, Al. Thank you very very much. Um, let let me begin by by answering that, that that that's a terrible exegesis of that passage of scripture. Um, we do have to remember that Jesus' ministry was entirely Jewish, and if we lose the Jewish context of his ministry, then we cannot understand what he was saying. But when Jesus said, what you do to the least of them, you do to me, 
Jesus was compelling us to good works. This had nothing to do with Israel, the nation, or or the people of of Israel at all. Now, it, it's the premise isn't wrong. Um, in in the Old Testament, we're told uh, Abraham was told, "I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you." And of course, we Christians, we want to be um, people that are blessed by the Lord. So we need to be pro-Israel. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to pray that they would come to a saving knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's nothing wrong, Al, if you're led by the Spirit, to give to Israel nationally or Israeli causes. However, if you do that uh, out of guilt or if you do it because somebody's convinced you with bad teaching that uh, that's something that we ought to do. And remember, there are lots of pro-Israeli groups and we should be pro-Israel. I want to emphasize that over and over and over. Um, but uh, always, always with our giving, the, the idea there is the people who can't help themselves. We need to be willing to help. Um, bless ministries that are, are are reaching out to those who are in prison, reaching out to those who, who are poor and hungry. Um, again, the exegesis about that being Israel is is a horrible, horrible, horrible um, scholarship. So, so, so don't do that. Again, we should be pro-Israel. We should support Israel politically, um, but but that's not a command to give them money, unless, of course, the Lord is leading you by His Spirit to do so, and then you do it, and you do it with a cheerful heart. Uh, but again, that passage of scripture has been uh, what you heard with somebody with their own cause, and they're sort of twisting the scriptures uh, to get you to contribute to their cause. One of the things, and this is just a rule of thumb, Al, that that I've always kept, and and maybe it'll it'll help make things a little easier for you. Um, I simply would never give money to ministries of any type that manipulated the scriptures or tried to make me feel guilty if I didn't give. If they put out false carrots, you know, and, 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 and make false promises. That's a ministry that is not healthy, a ministry that's not sound. Uh, if the Lord puts it on your heart to do it, do it. But don't let a man or, or a church or a particular group of people uh, convince you that, that uh, the Scripture doesn't say what it says. Good question. I hope that helps, Al. Remember, for all of you in the audience, when you're reading the Gospels, um, you cannot lose the Jewish context in the passage of Scripture. If you do, you will lose the meaning. So very, very important. Is it good to give to the poor? You bet. I'm going to talk about that tonight in Isaiah chapter 58. But um, the best prayer that we can pray for Israel is that the Jews who live there would receive their Christ, their Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. That's the best way to bless them. Thank you, Al. Let's go to an anonymous call on line three from San Antonio. You're on the air. Thanks for holding. To Did your you lose anonymous? No, oh, there you are. Okay, hi, Ray. Oops, I mean, anonymous. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, the other anonymous. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I knew it wouldn't last, but anyway, that's all right. <laughs> uh, this goes back to your 
uh, call from Anonymous. I believe it was your second one. And, and just uh, in response to that, I was flooded with a, uh, I don't know what to say, but I started writing it down. And, <clears throat> and actually, I've experienced, endured a lot. Uh, should have, by all intents and purposes, died many times on many occasions. But unlike Job, and especially unlike Jesus, suffered very little compared. Um, even though one example, uh, which is pretty pretty difficult uh, to endure, is the first, second, and third degree burns, which I was told that in order to be able to open my arms up, I would need at least six-inch skin grafts on each arm. And uh, I asked about what the price was per inch, and uh, and I did not have any. But uh, uh, as you know, I can open my arms up. And anyway, uh, moving on, it said uh, commonly that a journey of a thousand miles, for instance, belong, begins with one step. But I was I was just shocked with this business of uh, saying that the road to the joy of eternity is paved by one leap of faith after another. <laughs> Almost the entire life flash before you has happened to me, and I don't know if you have come that close. I know you say you, you had a uh, an angel uh, save you and Paula, but uh, I've, I've had that business, and it was not an entire uh, life flash, but quite a huge amount of it flashed in front of me at one point, and I think I was pretty close to the edge at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say to uh, all of everybody that uh, don't ever give up or in and uh, keep the faith. And I'll let you say anything you want to. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Anonymous. <laughs> Oops. That kind of stuff happens sometimes as you get older. Um, I, the only comment I'll make is that... that as believers, we've got to have enough faith, a foundation of faith that says, my days are in your hands, Lord. I have no right to interfere. I have no right to, to escape. Um, I am your servant. And I think what we forget as Christians, we're going through something really hard. And of course, we want to escape the suffering. Of course, we want to escape the pain. And in, in the case of our caller earlier, uh, the, the attacks spiritually. Um, but, but, but all of those things strengthen us. And as we persevere through them, then what we do is we bring glory to God and we become more like Him. Jesus persevered. And because Jesus persevered, we too can. And we've got to finish our races. We can't get out of our races. Um, and, and yes, sometimes it takes a lot of faith to do it. Thank you for the call. Let's go now to San Antonio and talk with Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. 
I um I ran across I've heard this scripture many times, but for some reason it really struck out to me today. Matthew chapter eleven, verse thirty. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I wondered if you'd just kind of expound on that one for me. I'd appreciate it. Thank you. I'll get off the phone and listen to the radio. Thank you, Cindy. Um, You know, we we look at Jesus when he said that. Um, And we we would look at him and say, no, your, your, your yoke and your burden wasn't easy and light. I mean, this was a man who was going to take on the sins of the whole world. This was a man who was going to be beaten, uh, as perhaps no other man has ever been beaten. This was a man who was going to die separated from his father, something that never happened in all eternity. We would say, that's not easy, that's not light. But what Jesus is trying to do is invite us to be like him. Invite us to be with him during our own struggles. He had the company of his father. That was all he needed to persevere. Well, we need to be in the company of Jesus. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, Cindy, um, I think the key is perspective here. Um, Whenever we're going through something really, really difficult, Jesus considered the unspeakable horror that he went through as easy and light compared to finishing his mission. And his mission, of course, was to win you and to win me, that we could spend forever to accomplish the will of his Father. His burden, his Father said it pleased him to crush Jesus. And Jesus had to deal with that burden. So what he's telling us is take, take his yoke upon us. Let us give him our problems. Let's keep them in perspective. And as I said to a caller in the first half of the show, when we're going through something really, really difficult, we need not to look at those difficulties. Instead, we need to look higher and higher. That's why Paul said to set our minds and hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of glory. To do that, we've got to look up. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to give us perspective. Very important passage of Scripture. I love, actually, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. It's a passage that everybody's familiar with, but it is the way that we can survive and thrive in the middle. So, Cindy, thank you very, very much. Carlton called back to say thank you very much. Appreciate your answer. Thank you, Carlton. God bless you, and I'll be praying for you as well. And and um, you know, I'd love to meet people that I get to talk to. When Carlton was speaking, I felt like I knew him. You know, and that doesn't happen very often. But but I felt like I knew him. And um, some of us, at least from a worldly perspective, are dealt a really difficult hand. You know, um, let me let me add one more thing. We don't have anybody on hold right now. We're inside of five minutes. We had in our church um, a long time ago now, we had a, a young woman who was the light of our church. Um, her name was Davina, perfect name for her. Um, it was on a Wednesday, I got a phone call that Davina was dead. It was a woman who was frantic. 
took the call. We went right out to where she was. I was asked to identify the body. She was a victim of a robbery gone wrong, or we're not sure whether or not she walked in when he was committing the robbery and he killed her, or or whether she was asleep um, and he just decided to cover his tracks. We don't know. But there's no rhyme or reason for that murder, and the tragedy for us was unspeakable. And I remember the very next morning, you know, the the first thing we do, we've got Bible studies here on Wednesday night. I knew the word was circulating and people would be gathering at the church and and, and I needed to get back here and minister to the people who were still alive and hurting. And I had no time to think. I had no time to, to, to stop for a moment. I didn't have any time even to grieve at that point. So the next morning I knew I was going up going back out to where Davina lived. I was going to meet her husband there and minister to him. And I I remember getting up extra early and taking a walk with the Lord. And I I just said, Jesus, I can't do this. I can't do this. And it was the harshest yet most loving rebuke I've ever received. The Lord said to me, as clear, I mean, it it wasn't verbal, it wasn't audible, but it was as though it was. He said, of course you can. I need you now. And it kind of shook me back to reality. And I thought, Lord, I'm so sorry. Of course I'm ready for this. We don't think we're ready for tragedy. But that's when the Holy Spirit completely takes over. And when we allow him to have his way in our hearts, then a time will come back or come by when we will look back and we'll be able to see the hand of God through the entire experience, no matter how tragic it is. Tragedy is something that that we can't avoid. We wish we could. But here's what I tell my church all the time, that whatever happens, if you've been walking with Jesus, you're ready for it. Even if you feel it's impossible like Carlton did. You're ready. Because God is a loving Father and He prepares His children for the things that He knows are going to happen even though we have no idea those things are going to happen. So appreciate you calling back and letting me know that it was okay, Carlton. Here's a question I can ask in our last uh, minute and a half. What's one minute? Uh, Dean wants to know, will there be sin in the millennium? Uh, The answer, Dean, is yes, there will be sin in the millennium. Uh, in a way that the Bible doesn't make clear, we will be uh, instruments uh, of, of executing justice. We'll rule and reign with Jesus. Uh, we know that those who rebel against God will be dealt with uh, quickly and completely. Uh, and yes, there will be sin, and that sin will carry through to the very end of the millennium when Satan is let loose. So there will be sin in the millennium. That's why there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, because nothing impure can enter there. No more sin, no more pain. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate the phone calls. You have been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. We appreciate your prayer for our trip to Houston. We leave tomorrow morning, and we will be live from Calvary Chapel in Friendswood, Texas, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 
The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Well, it's the word to stand on.